Hi, everybody. Welcome to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And this episode is going to be a talk that I gave at Atheists United a couple months ago called Lessons from Belief. So I'll warn you in advance, this was done outdoors in Los Angeles. So there'll be a bird, there'll be a plane. You'll hear sounds, and uh, this was recorded on my phone. So, you know, it's not the greatest audio quality, but hopefully uh, you enjoy the message itself. I'm excited to hear it. I haven't heard it yet. I listen with all of you. So here goes. All right. Hailing from Los Angeles, California, we have Ross Blotcher. He's a professional skeptic. Uh, He's a local activist. He's involved in all types of forms of secular... Uh, atheist, humanist, and skeptic communities. He's involved in CFI's independent investigation group. He's a father. He's a volunteer for Camp Quest. And he's a friend of the community. Please help me in welcome Ross Blusher. Thank you, Evan. One last quick announcement. Uh, we do have two cards that we handed out. If you have questions for Ross afterwards, go ahead and put your questions on the cue card. We'll collect them. Thank you. Well, thank you all for having me here. I realize today that I have something in common with Atheists United. We were both established in 1982. um, I also wanted to underscore, I know last month, Aaron Carter was here giving a talk about Camp Quest West. Yeah, Camp Quest West. And we've got Neil here as well, a longtime Camp Quest Wester, and Evan even has been a Camp Quest West counselor. I just wanted to throw that out there yet again. If you're looking for an awesome camp experience to volunteer or to send your kids, uh, you couldn't ask for better. I'm a big fan, so feel free to ask me questions about that as well on your cue cards. I really love the bubbles here. If I get distracted, um, it'll, it'll be for that reason. So today uh, I talked with Evan about a really fun idea for a talk that I was kind of eager to look into, and that was lessons that I've learned from the world of belief. Something that I do with my podcast is I interact with a lot of different beliefs. Uh, but first I wanted to start with my own kind of origin story. And that is within Christianity. I was raised into, I guess, the Assemblies of God Church, if I had to specify one denomination. Yeah, I heard a wow there. Yeah, the Holy Rollers. That's tough. (laughs) That's great. And I experienced a lot of different denominations of Christianity growing up. I would have never called myself any particular denomination. But these are just a few select images of some of my foundational moments within Christianity. You know, two of my favorite Bibles, one's all highlighted from when I was a kid, me going to church dressed up every Sunday. I don't think I ever missed a Sunday. Uh, (laughs) This is me with my wife uh, when she was pregnant with our current son, our our current son, (laughs) my my one and only begotten son, uh, who's, who's still alive. I don't know why I said it that way. He's 17 now. So this is me uh, when Car was pregnant with Andrew, wearing my Jesus is Lord shirt, not ironically. Um, and uh, I was the, the head of the Bible study group at college for a couple years, light, living in God's hands today. And uh, this was the church I was at, a Presbyterian church here in Burbank, or here in Burbank, nearby in Burbank, that I'm still kind of part of. And that's an interesting part of my journey, is that when I finally did leave the faith intellectually, I didn't want to leave completely physically and in terms of my friendships. 
I, I figure a lot of people here probably have a similar background. I could ask the question very broadly and just say, who here believes, used to believe something strongly that they no longer believe? Who's willing to agree to that? I, I'd say that's a majority of hands there. And, and who uh, would be more specifically willing to say that Christianity is part of their background and makeup? Also, okay, a majority of hands. So that is part of our cultural makeup. That's who we are. And, and I've kind of come to terms with, no matter who I become or what I believe in life, this will always be part of my makeup. You know, you take the boy out of the church, but you take the church fully out of the boy. On some level, I'm always culturally Christian because those verses are deeply embedded within my head. And it's, it's kind of an expectation within our culture that if you're going to understand a lot of etymology and where words come from, you're going to understand a bit about the Bible and that religious history. Or if you're going to win in a Jeopardy category or understand Shakespeare, you know, there's, there's a lot of knowledge that rides there. So when you leave the faith, one of the first things we get really excited about is learning all of the bad parts of the Bible, because those are the ones that we didn't learn about in our Sunday school classes. And so we get really good at being able to tell people about, you know, like 1 Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they have a question about something, they can go ask their husband when they get home. That's just insulting. Then, you know, we learn maybe 1 Corinthians 6, 9. My wife was just reminding me of this verse the other day. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. You know, think of all the harm verses like that have brought. And that's the kind of thing we become real experts on. I'm sure all the neighbors now are wondering, what is going on back here? <laughs> Let's do more of that. <laughs> Colossians 3.22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and decree their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Ouch. You know, you can explain, oh, well, for that time they were talking about women in a church uh, who were causing, you yeah, you've probably heard these sort of apologetic responses. Even if that were the case, think of how many people have gotten the wrong message from those verses. Yeah, this is just another reference I wanted to throw in. Has anyone seen the film Us that just came out? No, yeah. I'm afraid. Okay. I'm, I'm afraid, for good reason. It's a scary film. Uh, Jordan Peele's new film he directed, Get Out, recently. There's a, a Bible reference, and they never actually spell it out for you. You just see a guy holding a sign that says Jeremiah 11.11. So I don't think I'm spoiling anything too much, but when you see that, now you'll know that that says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Whew, ouch. That's a, a, a long shot from Jeremiah 29, 11, I think. It says, I, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm. Anyways, there's a lot of that up in my head. So that, that's what we kind of fixate on with the Bible. That's an understandable focus. We get excited about that. We want to learn that, tell people about the weird stories in the Bible. But I didn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater when I was leaving my faith. I wanted to maintain friendships. I wanted to hold on to what was good. I know for a lot of people, once they leave religion, they think, oh, I don't want anything even remotely that looks like it. And for that reason, sometimes they won't want to get together in a group with like-minded people. So they think, ah, that's like church. But hey, we're all here, and that's awesome. So there are good things that can be pulled from that tradition. So here's a couple of verses that I like. This one is kind of my favorite example of people just pulling selective quotes from the Bible. But it sounds good by itself. Isaiah 1.18, I put in the A there because it's just the first part of the verse. 
Come now, and let us reason together. We would all agree to that, right? That's a great thing to do. Let's get together and reason. Yeah, we got a thought for that. Go Bible. All right. Now, granted, when... Uh-oh, where's my... Did I leave out my... Oh, no, I left out my context there. Okay, well, I'll just tell you the context in Isaiah 118, if you expand it out for a couple of verses, it essentially says, I am the Lord, and if you do not follow my decrees, I will kill you. <laughs> okay, that's not quite an invitation to a collaborative reasoning, but okay, uh, still, it's a nice snippet, and we can use that. Here's actually one that I live by. This is a helpful piece of wisdom that has never left me from Ephesians 4.26, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And, okay, maybe that's not always literally possible, but if I have something like a disagreement with somebody or I'm feeling angry, I should be resolving that as soon as I can. You know, maybe I need to apologize to them. Maybe I need to just talk it out. Obviously, it's not always correct in every situation. Maybe sometimes they're not ready to talk to me about it, but it's a good precept. Now, when you introduce the context there, you can see, in your anger, do not sin. All right, we've introduced the concept of sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, we've got the devil in there as well, but still, it's a good precept we can pull out. Here's another one that I really like from Ecclesiastes 3. You've all heard, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Makes for a very good bird song. But also, you know, it's a nice reflection. It's a great piece of poetry. I did cut it off there. The next line is, a time to kill. Uh, but still, you know, it, it's a beautiful piece. Actually, Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book if you're looking for a book of the Bible. It's actually quite skeptical. And then you have things like Matthew 7 and 12. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, well, we have the law and the prophets in there. We don't necessarily need that. But that's your golden rule in the Bible. And all of us here probably know that is not original to Jesus. That idea predates him by quite a bit. You know, Confucius and others had different formulations of this. And we can also point out examples. Well, what about a sadist? You know, or, uh, you know, what if uh, somebody wants something done to them, but the other person does not want? It's a good rule of thumb, though. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just saving the cue cards. <laughs> so what, what do we call this process when we kind of selectively grab just pieces and pull those out? What do we refer to that as? Sampling. Hypocrisy, I heard. Sampling. Sampling, good. Cherry picking. Cherry picking, yeah, cherry picking. So let me say <laughs> a few good words for cherry picking. We, we normally think of that as a very negative thing, like just pulling out little pieces and ignoring others. And that is truly a bad thing when you are saying that the whole that you are picking from is perfect and inspired, and then you're just picking the little pieces that sound good at the moment or work for you and ignoring the others. I think we are right to decry that. But there's also, how can I say this? The, the other way to look at that, though, is that if you don't, see that all is inspired and perfect, then cherry-picking is intellectually consistent. You're no longer committing that same fallacy because, oh, is the bubble finally going to hit the screen? Oh, no. <laughs> because now it's just a work of human authorship. And we all get it. You know, we know that the Bible, I'm, I'm picking on the Bible right now, but, it, you know, it's a work of human authorship. It's not written by one person. It's written by many people over a long time. They have different objectives and different knowledge to share. And... Yeah, we can go in there and say, yeah, that's a nice piece. I agree with that. I like that. 
It's a good thing that there's cherry picking. We all enjoy cherries. I almost brought some cherries with me today, but I figured that was really overselling the point. It's a good thing we have that process to pick out the good fruit from the bad. To extend the metaphor down the, the chain of, of action, when you eat a cherry, what do you do afterwards? Sit out the pit. Sit out the pit, right? So, you know, the, the lesson there that was taught to me in Sunday school is the best place to hide a lie is between two truths. And if I hadn't gotten that from Sunday school, I would have gotten that from the X-Files. That's <laughs> deep throat. I don't know if you remember that whole storyline. Anyways, but conversely, sometimes, you know, a good place to find some little nuggets of wisdom is within the messy human course of interaction and text and all the things that humans have created. It's not always that easy. So departing from strictly the world of Christianity, my friend Carrie and I co-host a podcast called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. I have become, almost by accident, something of a professional joiner of religions and undergoer of alternative medical treatments and interactor with spiritualists. I don't know. I didn't think out how to phrase those things. Uh, but yeah, my friend Carrie is also oddly very interested in trying these different things firsthand and getting in there, getting our elbows dirty and just, you know, trying the thing. So here's just a few examples of us getting our uh, Dianetic certificates from Scientology, <laughs> visiting a, a psychic and trying various medical devices, cryotherapy, creationist museum, there's a bit of cupping, there's a live exorcism, that was fun, a sound bath down there. And these are, this is always fun to do when I'm giving a talk to update this list and show some of the things that we've investigated. This is a list of various topics that we've tried over the course of the last eight years. Oh, there's more. And uh, it's just amazing to see the, the depth and breadth of, of things that we've gotten into. So I wanted today to share just a few good examples of positive, uh, helpful lessons that we've learned from the world of belief. So I figured I'd start with one of the thorniest of beliefs out there, and that's Scientology. This is in no way a recommendation that anybody join Scientology. If you could turn a timeshare presentation into a religion, that would be maybe the fastest way to describe Scientology. So, so let's just be clear about that. And yet, as I was sitting through hours upon hours of classes, I learned certain things like the ARC triangle. So in the Scientology logo, you may notice there's the, the S and then the, the two triangles. Now you'll know. One of them is the ARC triangle and the other is the KRC triangle for knowledge, responsibility, and communication. Is it also communication? Control. control, control, that's it, yes. But the ARC triangle, I'm looking to Russell because he has experience and he knows more about this than I do. But the ARC triangle is affinity, reality, and communication. So let me explain to you a little bit of Hubbardian logic here. So in this triangle, you have these three, and you can see in this little fancy graphic here from one of their videos, you have these three linked concepts, communication, reality, and affinity. And it deals with your interactions and relationships with others. So if you and I are friends and we have like good communication going on, that's going to increase the size of this overall triangle. And we'll then have more of a shared reality. So we picture the world in the same way. And the more that we increase our communication, the more we have a shared understanding of the world, which is kind of a microcosm of what I'm talking about today. So that's good. And then affinity. I really like how they defined affinity. It was how close you want to be to someone. And like you can sense that with someone that you're interacting with. You know, if you if you really want to sidle up to them, have a conversation, that shows a lot of affinity that you have with that person. I like that explanation, and I kind of use that now in my mind when I'm thinking about interpersonal relations. 
And as one of those grows, the others grow with it. And as one shrinks, the others shrink with it. So it's kind of a, a tool, a filter, a way to understand relationships and maybe get your head around what's going wrong with them and say, oh, maybe we're having a communication problem or maybe we don't have a shared reality. So that's a little concept I was able to pluck out of Scientology and take with me while maybe not signing on for the rest of it. <laughs> I was just talking to Carrie the other day. It was the silliest video. It was an early video that they showed us in Scientology. There's lots of videos when you're sitting through these long classes. But one was talking about when things go crazy, you know, a bunch of papers fly in the air. Oh, no, what do I do? Or, you know, everybody's calling on the same line at the same moment. What am I going to do? The advice was just to tackle one thing first. So just pick up the phone, answer one call. That way you can break down your big problems into little ones. Now, you don't need Scientology to get that observation. We could all figure that out, or we've heard it from other places. But that particular example now is kind of lodged in my mind. And when life feels a little chaotic and feels like everyone's calling the circuit board at the same time, I can think, ah, just answer that first call. So there you go, a little bit of Scientology wisdom for you. Didn't think you were getting that today, did you? (laughs) All right, these are our friends of the Mormons. One of our early investigations was spending time with the Mormons. And this is a picture of one of their uh, food stores, of uh, banks. I'm, I'm forgetting the exact term right now. But, but the idea is that they store up a lot of extra food, canned goods, items that they can share with people in their community who don't have it, who aren't necessarily Mormons. That's wonderful. And when I would go to the, the priesthood meetings after you know an already two-hour-long church service and go sit down with the other guys, we would often be reminded, hey, you know, it's important to be storing up for disaster preparedness. You know, they are Latter-day Saints. So since 1830, they felt that the world is about to end any moment now. So they've always been prepared in case uh, shit gets real and society falls apart. They've got a bunch of canned goods waiting. And so they would be reminding me, hey, do you have all your stuff saved up? No, I don't. But that's, that's a good lesson. That's a good focus. And that's really cool that they've kind of turned it into almost a market where they can invite people to come and get food in stores that they need. Also, something else Mormons are really good at, genealogy. This is their Granite Mountain facility where they store tons of genealogical records deep within a mountain and elsewhere. They're very good. They run Ancestry.com, and I think they're involved in some of the other DNA testing services. Now, they may have all these wild ideas about baptizing the dead, and maybe that's why they want to capture all this information, and they have all these ideas about Jews having sailed across the ocean into South America, and that's where all of the Native Americans came from, the Jewish population in diaspora. No archaeology or genetics or any uh, line of actual inquiry confirms that, but still, it makes them very good genealogists. And my friend Mallory just released a book recently called Lady from the Black Lagoon. Yes, fantastic book. Highly recommend it. Really interesting story of this woman named Millicent Patrick who designed the creature from the Black Lagoon. I got a yes back there. Nice. Okay. I highly recommend that book. But she was trying to track down this woman, and the way she got into the genealogical records was to go visit the Mormon church, one of their centers, and cover up all her tattoos and everything, and kindly asked to get access. And it's an amazing story. She ended up becoming a Mormon ghost wife. Uh, read the book. Anyways, it helped her find a relative, which was super worth it. So here's a, another investigation. We went unknowingly. We didn't know kind of which religion this was, but we got flyers about this End Times Prophecy Seminar. I said, oh, I'm in. And uh, they held us there for, I, I want to say I attended 21, 22 lectures 
on weeknights, it took over my life. Uh, but it wasn't until maybe lecture 10 or 11 that we finally figured out that they were Seventh-day Adventists, or at least that they admitted to that. And so uh, this is our pastor there. He's a great guy. And you can see we've got upcoming lecture on the Scarlet Harlot of Revelation. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and all this Bible knowledge is bubbling up in my mind, and I'm responding to the things that they're saying. I'm taking furious notes. So they got to lecture 20, and they'd gone off of the end times prophecy. They're also expecting the world to end at any moment. Keep waiting. Uh, and they got to these slides where they were talking about how Seventh-day Adventists live longer than the rest of the general population. And it's true. They do. That, that's borne by evidence. And uh, on average, they live, you know, like eight years longer than your average American. And so they point out that a lot of that is based on just a strong community. That's important, getting together again, just to underscore that uh, lesson. But also because they eat a vegetarian and healthy diet. So, you know, I'm sitting here looking at slides about the list of unclean birds, and that's not helpful. I haven't been tempted to eat vulture or buzzard or red kite lately. But I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've read Pete Singer's Animal Liberation. I'm sitting next to Carrie, who's a, you know, almost lifelong vegan, and I've, I've heard all the arguments. I already felt guilty at that point for eating meat, and I was trying to, like, cut it out of my life, and I was keeping food logs. But hearing them give this talk, I was sitting there and thinking, okay, well, they have this religious prescription that causes them to be vegetarian, and that's a very good motivator. If they can do it for their reasons, why can't I do it for mine? Why can't I be more consistent? And so, to Carrie's ultimate chagrin, instead of having listened to all those arguments and then making a real change in my life, it was that moment where I decided, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and two and a quarter years later, I'm still vegetarian. So, thank you, thank you. And so, really, they influenced me. That, that was a lesson that I learned. Yes, Ross. That's right. <laughs> yep. Since I was four. Since I was four. <laughs> and that wasn't and, enough. And that's when I started telling you. But you brought me to the tipping point. Oh, good, good, good. See? And that's that's kind of like what we're talking about here, that you try to plant the seeds. It's true. And eventually they bear fruit. <laughs> and someone else picks the fruit. <laughs> The Seventh-day Adventists come along. Look, you get credit too, Carrie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You get the credit. So does Peter Singer. You're the you're the one doing the work. Well, thank you. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah, sorry. We're interrupting this talk by me to tell you about very important services that are supporting, in part, these investigations that yeah. we do for our podcast. Indeed. Services like... Squarespace. That's a service that you can use to create a beautiful website. Exactly. And I don't know, you could showcase your work. You could blog or publish content. You could announce an upcoming event or a special project. There's so many things you could do on Squarespace. It's true. And they've got beautiful, customizable templates. And get this, Ross, they are created by world-class designers. Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay, not just county class. No, no. Not <laughs> you imagine? district class. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure these designers within their respective counties have, and states... Yeah, have also been recognized. ...are high-class designers, but these are... The world over. That's amazing. I know. And they have powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything you want to sell. This is important. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. That's... Pretty good. You want your website to be responsive. You want it to show up on any size screen because everybody has these glowing rectangles 
and some of them are big. Some of them are tiny. Some mm-hmm. of them are portrait. Some of them are landscape. Yeah. Your website will fit on all of the above. Because I've been to a website and been like, this does not work well on my phone. Yeah, I'm zooming out to see it all. Now it's too tiny. Yep. I'm zooming in. Oh, but I can't read this. I'm clicking on that menu, but it's not responding. Mm. Oh, boy. Won't happen with Squarespace. And they have a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. If you need like a dot horse, yeah. say. Yeah, maybe they've got it. <laughs> they also have free and secure hosting. And uh, it's pretty awesome. It's a real one-stop shop, especially for people who are kind of overwhelmed with the concept of making their own website. I think it's a very user-friendly way to get your message out there. Yeah, and it's got a built-in content management system so you can have other people come in and help contribute and they don't necessarily have to be coding geniuses. Exactly. But if they are, they can make it even better. Yeah. So what should someone do, Carrie, if they want to sign up and try this out? say they should go to squarespace.com for a free trial and then when they're ready to launch they can use the offer code oh no to save 10 percent off their first purchase of a website or domain that's squarespace.com enter code oh no and also while you're making your website you could be brushing your teeth now normally those would be things that you couldn't or at least shouldn't do at the same time but Mm -hmm. you can do it with the convenience of a quip toothbrush exactly that's what i was thinking if you use a quip i mean it's mobile, it's on the go, and even though it's electric, electric, electronic, even though it vibrates, (laughs) you can bring it anywhere you want. It is small, it is sleek, it fits in your pocket, and yet it's an electric toothbrush. No more of this big bulky thing that sits on the side of your sink and takes up a whole quarter foot of space. No, no, no! And it features sensitive sonic vibrations, a built-in two-minute timer, a multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount. I use it for that. Plus, there are no wires or a clunky charger, and it runs for three months on a single charge. Uh, I can confirm that. Yeah? Yeah. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5, a friendly reminder when it's time for a refresh and to stay committed to your oral health. So Quip is perfect for getting back into a routine, and it starts at just $25 if you go to getquip.com slash oh no right now. You can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com. Slash. Oh, oh no. This is a favorite one. This is a laughter yoga session. And we came to laughter yoga carrying yoga mats. Didn't need those. That was, that was a bad call. Put those in the corner. So there's no yoga involved. There's no stretches. There's no looking at your third eye or anything like that. But this is an excuse for a bunch of adults to get together and make each other laugh for no reason. Maybe we'll tell a silly joke or maybe uh, they'll make a funny sound and everybody just starts laughing together. I was really tempted to try to start that here, but I'll, I'll save you all. But, but it was. Yes. Oh, I, I, I like your spirit there, Stu. So, you know, we sit there and we start laughing together and you fake it till you make it. At first it's fake laughter and then it's just so silly you start laughing. And it really is, you know, a good, healthy, fun thing to do. Got nothing bad to say about laughter yoga. <laughs> this is a brand new one that we're currently investigating. We just came back from Minnesota. We went to this worldwide EC conference. Now, has anyone here heard of Ekencar before? Oh, we got a couple. Oh, okay. Oh, impressive. Nice. So just because you mentioned it on the portal stream. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Okay. So, all right. I tip Sheila off recently. But uh, yeah, it's very little known. It's one of those religions that even most people who know a fair amount about religions don't know about. So quick version of this is 
1965, a man named Paul Twitchell discovered this ancient teaching. Of course, it was ancient. He didn't come up with it in 1965. And so he became the 971st living Eckmaster and revealed all of these truths. And this ancient scripture that I'm currently reading, I don't know why I did this to myself, but it's the Shariat Kisukmad. And he says it's older than Hinduism or any other extant religion, and yet it's got references to Christianity. I don't know. I'm trying to figure all this out. But now he's had a couple successors. And this is Shri, this is their leader, their living Ekmaster, their godman, Shri Harold Klemp. Which, I don't know, I find hilarious. <laughs> Normally you expect something different to come after a Hindu-based honorific like Shri. But for all of the wildness of their claims and their spiritual beings that you see in your soul travel, it's kind of their term for astral travel, they get together and one thing they do before they start anything is they chant the... How would you pronounce this? Okay, thank you, because that's what I said. Who? H-U, capital H, capital U. It's the hue. So they're already called Ekinkar, and they sing the hue. And so this one I will make you do. So I'm going to have all of you just join in with me, and we're just going to chant And then you would keep cycling. They'll do that for half an hour. <laughs> and there's an app you can get on your phone. It's you, and they have a recording of 20 minutes of thousands of people singing you together. But, I don't know. Did you think it felt kind of good just now? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so nobody else got anything from that. But, like, now my son and I will kind of do this for fun on a regular basis. We'll pull out the app and we'll sing along, usually next to my wife when she's trying to rest. <laughs> but it is kind of calming and nice, and it's a pleasant sound and a shared experience with everybody else to be singing the hue, even though there's all this other craziness involved. Here's another one, the uh, Self-Realization Fellowship. Who's familiar with the Self-Realization Fellowship? Okay, a little better known in this crowd. They have a center in L.A. right next to the Scientology Big Blue Building. So they have a similar kind of succession as the Ekinkar Masters. It includes one Babaji, who is supposed to have been alive continuously for something like 3,000 years and still walks the earth. Call me skeptical. But there's a real emphasis... I read the, the founder's autobiography of a yogi. There are many extraordinary supernatural claims in there, but I didn't really hear much of that when I attended their services. Mostly it was a focus on doing good in the world, taking time to meditate, taking time to think about your thought process, follow their particular Kriya Yoga, but all of it was pretty harmless and, dare I say, even helpful in some circumstances. And so I came away from that one saying, well, if I had to pick a religion to kind of take over the world, it's not a bad choice. <laughs> one of my favorite investigations that we ever did, this wasn't related to a religion, but we took a speed reading class. And let me just spoil it here. There's still no taking a book and just flipping through page, 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 page and getting anything out of it. That doesn't work, unless you have very special brain wiring. What is the Woody Allen joke? You know, I read War and Peace in 20 minutes. It's about Russia, something like that. <laughs> but attending that class, 
did give me a lot of really just practical pieces of advice about how to read strategically. The instructor said we can kind of keep our attentions for about 45 minutes, so that's a good amount of reading chunk to set aside. So I would do that. I would set my timer and read for 45 minutes. And another technique was to maybe take a book and read the first 10 pages and time yourself, you know, with a lapse on your phone, and then get a sense for what your average per page reading speed was. And that sounds pretty arduous, but you come away from that knowing, in this particular book with its typesetting, it takes me about this long to read a page. And if I read for 45 minutes, I should get to page, you know, 322. And then when you do that, it feels good. You're making real progress. And for me, I've realized that there's a direct correlation between reading time that I spend and happiness in my life. And when I started kind of following some of these ideas and incorporating them into my life, I just became a more confident reader. Maybe not much faster, but now instead of reading at the time, I think 18 or 19 books was like my yearly, not average, but maximum. And now I'm averaging about a book per week, which is crazy. So it's been a huge benefit to my life. And I can really point people to that class and say, yeah, you can ignore just the, the bits about the speed reading itself, but there's a lot of good uh, reading advice. So, I, <laughs> all right, I'm getting, this is the flat earth symbol, if you haven't seen this. <laughs> so it's not always easy to extract useful information from these communities, these ideas. So here's Carrie and I spending some time with a group of flat earthers. That's particularly frustrating. It, here's another group. This is an anti-vaccine rally. Uh, there's really nothing good to be learned there. And, and the only takeaways I can think of in that case are maybe finding starting places when you're having conversations with other people. What do we agree upon that we can start with? Okay, with the anti-vaccine parents, we care about keeping children healthy. So we can start with that point at least. Or with the flat earthers, we care about evidence. <laughs> I know, that's a tough one. I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> Uh, this talk is not an admonition for all of you to go out and start joining any religion nearby. You know, our tagline is, we show up so you don't have to. Uh, by all means, you can if you're interested in it. But, but the recommendation here is that you're going to encounter these ideas in your daily life one way or the other, through people you meet at work or socially or next-door neighbors. And when you do, you can kind of reframe this conversation and say, that's an interesting idea. I like that. And you can talk about that instead of making it, by default, a confrontation, saying, well, you're wrong, uh, because that doesn't get anyone anywhere. You know, that, and then people put up their guard and put down their uh, roots and hold on firm, and you can't, you can't have any kind of relationship. And just like I learned in Scientology, you need to build some of that communication first before you can get the shared reality, and maybe that'll come last, you know, and, and all of these things can grow together. So there's a helpful quote here from Sam Harris. Everything of value that people get from religion can be had more honestly without presuming anything on insufficient evidence. Yeah. I, right. At the same time, though, we, we can look to religion and we can cherry pick intellectually, honestly, and say, these are good ideas. And you know what? I, I could have thought of that on my own, but I didn't. And I like your emphasis on laughter or I like your emphasis on communication. And then you can just take that and own that and incorporate it. And then if you're willing to do that and you're willing to show that process, then other people will say, okay, well, he's willing to concede to that or admit to that or, or lay claim to those ideas. Maybe I'll look at what he has to say or what she has to say. And then you can build up that kind of rapport. 
Another quote that I really love that I feel underscores this, from Baruch Spinoza. I have made a ceaseless effort not to ridicule, not to bewail, not to scorn human actions, but to understand them. And I think if we all kind of lead with that attitude, then we can get a lot from those around us, and they can get a lot from us. So, to all of you, I wish you happy cherry picking. <laughs> Ross some questions for a few minutes. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're going to ask Ross uh, some questions. So you have cue cards here. Feel free to put your questions there and then pass them towards the middle of the aisle. Uh, I'm going to come through and pick them up. We're going to go through them. First question, though, to get you started, what was one of the deepest or hardest or most powerful experiences you went through and why? Oh, boy. Well, the first thing that came to mind when you said deepest, hardest experiences was trying ayahuasca. It's a hallucinogenic drug. And I had never had so much as marijuana uh, in my life. And I flew down to Costa Rica and tried this substance that, well, it works. You know, it's not people pretending that, like, oh, I had this amazing vision. No, it does this weird thing. I always plot it on this chart where, uh, you know, you start out and you have these kind of cool little visions of nature or whatever. And the sound around you really influences it. And that's cool. You know, as soon as you close your eyes, you're just seeing patterns, ge geometry. But then, like, it really sets in, and you dive off this cliff, and you go down to the deepest, darkest places of your psyche, and it's uh, horrific. So you feel this extreme sadness, and you hear people crying around you, or extreme disgust, and you hear people throwing up around you, and they give you a bucket to go with it. It's called your buddy, um, amigo. That's right, yeah, it's your amigo. And so I would feel these senses of dissociation, not even knowing what I was, or who I was, or where I was. Oh, it was so uncomfortable and terrible. But then, uh, why would anyone do this, right? Then you rise up out of that, and you have these uh, moments of connection where all of a sudden, oh, every axiom I've ever heard makes perfect and total sense, and you're making all these connections. And I was trying to take notes while doing this, and later on, some of it was silly, you know. Uh, a good example is that one of the, the shamans, I was looking at her and thinking, well, tomorrow she'll just be like going to the pool like everybody else. Everybody loves to go to the pool. And that was like an amazing insight. And I wrote it in all caps. Everybody loves to go to the pool. Uh, but I did also have all these grand ideas about how we're all connected together and, and how like time is our only constraint. That if we had more time, we'd do more things and know more people. But we have to make decisions because we have limited time. And oh, my mind was just racing with all these ideas and it all felt so cool. So I, I don't know if that was a good answer to that question. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right, do ayahuasca, but don't... Here's another one. How do you talk to people that don't trust science or history? Yeah. Oh, see, that's tough. Yeah, people don't trust science or history. That kind of comes to that area we were talking about with, yeah, politically, uh, that's a, a very current issue. Yeah, with Trump, where lying is just de rigueur. And the flat earthers, that's another example, and the anti-vax movement. Uh, for that, I would say just build that communication first and don't make every interaction about the point of disagreement. And then just trust the process. You know, maybe it will work out, maybe it won't, but at least be gracious about it and try to build a bridge. That's tough. Where do you find neutral ground, though? I mean, if you believe in science and facts and they don't, where's the neutral point? Right, yeah, the question was, where's the neutral point if you have science and facts on one side and you have just a complete malarkey on the other? The truth is not always in the middle. That much is false. Sometimes the truth is on one side or slanted heavily in one direction. That's tough. I mean, a lot of that comes to upbringing, and you have to kind of get someone when, when they're young, like religion does, and train them 
to care about evidence, because if they get to a certain point in their lives, how are you going to make them care about it all of a sudden? Uh, I don't know if there's an exact answer to that. I don't think there's uh, any combination of words in the English dictionary you can cobble together that will break someone out of that if they're so suspicious of everything and everyone around them. Wait, 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 sir, 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 I'm raising my hand. Sir, sir, sir. Uh, oh, it's you again. Yes, yes. I have a question, I have a question. Uh-huh. Are there any jumbotrons in this talk? Actually, yes. That's a very good question. Oh, okay, I'll climb up on stage with you and help you deliver them. <laughs> All right, All thank right. you. Cool, hi. <laughs> hi, uh, what's your name? Candace. Candace, uh, great to meet you. Thank you. And uh, you know what? I'm a huge fan. Are you? Yes. Okay. Oh my God, your podcast is so good. Okay. You look a lot like David Duchovny. All right, thank you. Yes. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm standing next to you. I loved Zootopia too. We recently had birthdays. Mine was August 6th and David Duchovny's was August 7th. Oh my gosh. That Well, I feel like it's written in the stars then. And my birthday was right in between August 6th and 7th. I was was born on midnight between August 6th and August 7th. That's weird because you seem more like a July 13th kind of person. Mm-mm, no, no, no. Was, uh, I, Candace, was born at the mm. midnight. On August 6th and a half. Mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what else is written in the stars? What? That you should listen and subscribe to the podcast, I'll See You in Help. Ugh. I would take any podcasting advice from you, Ross Balcher, so I will listen to that. It sounds like a podcast where three comedians read bad self-help advice and then try to use it in their own lives. That's absolutely correct. Really? Yet yet again, Candice, you have hit it out of the park. Oh my gosh. I just, I have an intuition for these things. It sounds good. We should be best friends now. Okay. Why am I agreeing to this? (laughs) So if you want to check out this awesome new podcast, listen and subscribe to I'll See You in Help. Uh, any other big announcements I should help you deliver from the stage? Yes, Candace. In fact, this is a very exciting Jumbotron. Really? Yeah, and it's from Price M, and it's to Arissa H. You want to, here, you want to read this? Okay. Oh, thank you for the scroll. Okay. Arissa, I love you, and I just want to know the answer to one question. Maybe Ross and Carrie can help me get to the bottom of it. Oh, Carrie's not here. Uh, it's okay, Candace. Okay. You, yeah, you're a good stand-in. Okay. Well, this is the question. <gasps> Will you marry me? Not uh, not you, Candace. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm already married. I will. No, no, I will. No, no. This is oh. this is from Price, and uh, it's to Arissa. I've been following this show so closely. I know you haven't been married for like twelve years, and you're asking me to marry you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so Arissa, we're excited for both of you, but also Price says maybe we should give these goofs meaning Ross and Candace, mm-hmm. your reply via Jumbotron. That sounds like a good system. That tells me that Price is very patient and can wait. <laughs> yeah, I hope Arissa is just standing there saying, noted, you would like an answer to this in three to four weeks. No problem. Submitted via Jumbotron. <laughs> well, we're excited for both of you. Yes, wishing you many years of happiness, even if they say no. You never know. Excellent. Well, thank you, Candace. if you wouldn't mind taking your seat again. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Really big fan. Yep, thank you. I okay. appreciate that. <laughs> I love your shirt. Bye. Okay, bye. You, you know what, Candace? before you leave. Yes, hi. Hi. Oh, I'm back. Uh, oh, uh, I am such a big fan. Uh, I appreciate that. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. Can I touch your hand? No. Okay, I respect that. But what you can do, though, yes. is tell everyone here where you go for the best audio entertainment. Oh, <laughs> that's so easy. Maximum fun. Any shows in particular you like? Ooh, there's a couple. Okay, I think maybe this one. 
you wept as we crafted the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Dude, like he forgives Darth Vader. Misa <laughs> still love you, Annie. <laughs> you gasped out loud at the shocking twists of Face Off 2. Face is wild. He takes his kid's face. What? <laughs> We're writing an entire screenplay week by week on Story Bricks Season 2, Heaven Heist. Hey folks, Freddie Wong here with some exciting news about Story Break, the writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have one hour to spin cinematic gold. We're shaking up our format by turning Heaven Heist, one of our favorite ideas we've ever come up with on the show, into a full screenplay. Heaven Heist is an action comedy about a crew of misfit gangsters robbing the celestial bank of heaven. Think of Coco meets Point Break. Join us as we write this crazy movie scene by scene and get an inside look at the screenwriting process on our podcast Story Break every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Did people know who you were? How undercover were you during these investigations? Yeah, that's definitely a, a line that Carrie and I need to walk. I would say almost all the time we are going openly with who we are, using our real names, but we don't say, hey, we're here for a podcast. You know, please tell us how your religion works, because we feel we would get a different experience. It would be catered to, you know, here's what I want them to say about me. We just want to get the actual experience that anyone walking in would. We try to ask tough questions. We're very interested in the answers to those questions. Uh, so that's kind of where our focus is. There's been a couple occasions where we've used pseudonyms. Like one time in particular, we were worried about someone doing hot reading and looking us up in advance, and we wanted to try to move aside from that. So that, that's an issue we need to think about. We have had people Google us and either turn us away or know who we are. That happens. How do you know what is worth cherry picking? That's a very good question. And, and I think by cherry picking and encouraging others to cherry pick and be aware of what they're doing, we can then ask that question of what is the criteria by which we cherry pick? Because, you know, if if someone finds a really good quote in the Bible and they decide to emphasize that and use that, then you have to ask, well, why that one? And not one, you know, three pages later or two lines earlier. They're using criteria as well. And so then we eventually, if we think about it enough, we become aware of our societal predisposition and our kind of cultural ethic that we've just learned from society and everyone around us. That's what I would say is the criteria for cherry picking. And it's something we all have to work on together and agree upon together as we converge, hopefully, towards truth. Awesome. What changes have you noticed in how people talk about the devil or explain evil? I would say I've noticed that those have started playing less and less of a role in people's lives and explanations about how things happen in the world. I remember my mom, like she would be late to something and she would be blaming the devil for messing with her car <laughs> or whatever. A big moment of realization for me when I became a non-believer was getting in my truck one morning and it wouldn't start. And I remember being so excited. Oh my goodness, like this doesn't mean I need to learn any cosmic lesson. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't need to ask myself like how I, how I stumbled. It's just my truck doesn't work. I just need to get it fixed. That's so cool. That, that's my personal story. I, I think I see less of that except when I'm going to like an exorcist seminar. Then, of course, there's going to be an emphasis on the devil. Great. I'm going to ask one more. Did the Jehovah's Witnesses give up on you or did you give up on them? <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses are still to come. I, yeah, I, I can't say too much about that. All right. Help me in thanking Ross Blasser.
Hi there, I'm Winston Knoll, and I play a bunch of characters on Mission to Zix, an improvised science fiction podcast. And this is our incredible sound designer, Shane. Hello. Shane makes it possible for me to fill our galaxy with ridiculous characters. Such as the Grand Coulomb of the planet Flirt. And the sentient starship, the Dazzle Marsh Man. And Bino. Bino love character actors with versatility. And Fennifer J. Ryan, Lone Shark. And of course, AJ2884, the defective clone trooper. Someone say clone, you call it clone. Well, sure, technically, we're all clones. Shut up with that clone stuff, shut up. There are five other cast members, too, but I sort of feel like I'm the alpha. Okay, that's fine. The season finale of Mission to Zix is coming up next week, so this is the perfect time to dive in and catch up with our intrepid crew as they explore the Zix Quadrant. Give Mission to Zix a listen on Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.